you can open your Bibles to James chapter 4. Britain is actually one of the people that uh, made it um, easier for me to be at the seminary. Him and our buddy Neil, whew, if it weren't for them too. That would have been a hard time, huh? Oh, man. Like Britton said, I'm a street minister. I've been doing street ministry since 1999 and started in Kalamazoo, and now we're in Benton Harbor in Detroit. So I'm in Benton Harbor Monday and Wednesday, Detroit Thursday, Friday, and uh, Sundays, uh, unless I preach somewhere else on Sunday, and then Kalamazoo Tuesdays. And it is a joy. I have a little, um, I was talking with the ministry team before this. Um, usually what I do when I get ready to be at a certain place, I'll start to um, hold that place in my mind, try to hold the people, maybe some of the people that I know they're in my mind as I start to pray through, like, okay, what, are we, what do you have for them, Lord? And um, maybe I had a little sense uh, a couple weeks ago, but I preach most Sundays, so it was just a sense. And then this week, I've been preparing and I was seeking the Lord on a certain message. And then when I got here this morning, I knew I had to do a different message. The problem with this is, um, in my mind, I'm a pretty solid dude. Like as far as mentally, I have, I feel like I'm in my right mind. Um, what I'm going to share with you. Um, is this, this is being really vulnerable. I'm a, it'll be very vulnerable, but what I've been going through, um, maybe a little bit shocking, a little, maybe a little disturbing, um, embarrassing for me. Because um, I've, I've been in the streets so long that some of the things that would happen to me in the streets are so bizarre that I would come home and sit down on my couch. And you know how your wife knows when something's wrong. And me and my wife have been married 21 years now, so I, I can't hide stuff from her. And she's like, <laughs> I try to hide stuff from her. You know, Britain, they know what's up. They're like, what's wrong? What's going on with you? We're like, nothing, I'm fine. Well, then you're not fine. I'm like, yes, I am fine. <laughs> so I come home and sit on the couch, and she would say, babe, what's the matter? I'm like, I don't know, man. I think I'm losing my mind. And I would share her, with her some of these stories. I, I, uh, someone asked me, are you going to write another book? And I was like, yeah, but it's going to be about the God I used to know. <laughs> because some of these stories, the problem was not that they were just bizarre. Because if you ever worked in inner city Detroit, forget about it. The bizarre is just normal. But the problem with the bizarre things that were happening is after we will look at it and realize it was the Lord. <sighs> now, I grew up in the CRC, which is, uh, stands for the Christian Reformed Church. And then I'm an ordained minister in the Reformed Church of America. And as some of you already know, to get ordained in the RCA, first you got to go through Western Theological Seminary, which I did. Then you got to uh, get called to a place, which I did. And then they do an ordination after you pass your fitness for ministry exam or test. 
And I want you to know that I passed my fitness for ministry, which means you have to be mentally and emotionally stable. <laughs> and I'm a minister in good standing with the Reformed Church in America. I just want you to know that first. Because really, I'm just going to share a, a scripture, a pretty long story, and then application, and then, then pray for all of us. The, the problem is, um, like, I'm, uh, I've been praying for revival for the longest time. Like, Lord, please do something in Benton Harbor. Please do something in Kalamazoo. Please do something in Detroit. But, uh, please do something in West Michigan. God, do something that is worthy of your name. God, do something that exalts your, your son. Do something that transforms society. Lord, please do this. Um, and then I, I, I heard this story. And one of my mentors told us that was really, really, really terrifying, but um, then it actually started to happen to me, and that's what we're going to talk about. First of all, my mentor used to um, smuggle Bibles into the former Soviet Union. So he would go over there, um, smuggle them in, meet with the uh, Pentecostal churches and the underground church in the Soviet Union. They would pray together and, and, and worship together, do discipleship. He would do some training and teaching and talk about what the Lord could possibly do if the Iron Curtain would fall, if uh, the Cold War was over, if Jesus was allowed to come into their nation. Eventually, it happened. And the problem was that, okay, now Russia was open to the gospel and the charismatic movement flooded through Russia. And there was signs, wonders, and miracles all over. There was people coming into the kingdom in, thousands, in the thousands. And the biggest issue was that the main opponents to the movement were the pastors that had been praying for 20 years. Because it didn't happen like they thought it was supposed to. And when I started praying for revival and researching revival and asking God to do more, I started to research revival, and I found out that one of the things that regularly happens is the people who have been praying for it for the longest are the ones that resist it when it comes. I said, Lord, oh my goodness. So, okay, so now, okay. All right. James chapter 4, did I say that already? Uh, verse 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now that's pretty, pretty well-known scripture. Um, I don't want to be someone that God starts to oppose, though. Because he opposes the proud. And I don't want to be someone that God opposes. Now, um, what I'm going to share with you... Um, a few years ago in seminary, there was this book that came out that was really, really controversial because it was, um, uh, in a really subtle way, suggesting universal salvation. Um, and we, as Christian people, we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't agree with that. So we were having these big arguments at the seminary, and one of the professors said, universal salvation is, not, is, a, is a proper Christian hope, it's just not proper Christian doctrine. What I'm getting ready to share with you is not proper Christian doctrine. 
Don't hear this story and then take it. Listen to your leaders when they try to give you counsel on what I'm sharing with you um, so that you don't go in the wrong direction. Because what happened to me was real. What happened to me was um, it's still very, very jarring to me. Um, but it had an effect on me that I want to express to you because if revival is going to go on in West Michigan, if revival is going to happen in Holland, if revival is going to happen here, you're going to have to have people who can lead it and help steward revival. But revival has never been easy. Revival is always messy. It's always messy. It always offends a whole bunch of people, always sees thousands come into the kingdom um, but I just, this is just kind of like uh, preparing our hearts to be able to receive that. How about that? That's a good sentence. Preparing our hearts to receive it. Okay. All right. Um, I have a friend, her name is Keisha. And I have another friend named Tokyo. Tokyo is the house supervisor of our ministry house in Benton Harbor. Keisha is his wife. You got that? What's the husband's name? And the, and the wife? All right, you guys got it. This is a story about them. This is, uh, I had to research this and vet this story more times than necessary because I was um, so angry about this. I got over it eventually, as I hope you'll hear. Before they got married, before they even met, Keisha, um, her family was really, really abusing her. Um, I don't know what you know about the sex slave trade, um, but a lot of the women that are involved in that, they're, they're um, drugged. So they drug them and they keep them out of their mind so that they can um, use their bodies for making money. And Keisha's family was doing that to her. Um, it, it got so bad, and she said to us that sometimes she would, like, start to come out of it and realize that she had been in a fog for three or four weeks. And, uh, like, she was like, what do you mean it's already November? That's how, um, uh, it got so bad that a neighbor came over to where she was being kind of held hostage at and said, if you want to know what's going on, you have to get out of that house. So she figured out a way to get a ticket to see her, um, her mom in Nashville and, and went down to uh, Tennessee for a few weeks just to be able to clear her head. Because if you've ever had an experience with drugs or alcohol, it sometimes takes weeks to get a clear head. Actually, sometimes years. So she's trying to get her head all cleared up and like, what is going on? Comes back to Benton Harbor only to find out CPS has taken her children. She has three kids. And um, she's like, well, what's the deal? They said, well, there's all these complaints that we have filed against you. And she finds out her family has been filing complaints against her, even though her family is the one that's been drugging her. So they're like, uh, um, one of the, one of the uh, complaints has been about your drug, and, uh, drug abuse. And she's like, I don't take drugs. I don't. Uh, well, take this test. She tests positive for heroin, for cocaine, for like all these. And she's like, I don't. I don't take drugs. They don't listen to her. They're like, well, that's not what your blood test is saying. So um, takes the, the, the kids are taken away from her. Um, she's distraught. She's distraught. All right. A few weeks later, Keisha, Keisha's friend, 
and the friend's boyfriend appear at our ministry house in Benton Harbor at midnight. They knock on the door. Tokyo opens the door like, hey, what's up? He knows the dude. He was in prison with the dude. So he's like, oh, what's up? Dude was like, hey, me and my girl need a place to stay tonight. Is there any way we could just stay here tonight? We'll be gone soon. Uh, Tokyo was like, well, you can use Nate's room upstairs because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't live in Benton Harbor. But when I'm in Benton Harbor, sometimes I do spend the night and I have a room. He said, uh, you can stay up in Nate's room. Nate's fine with it. All right, thanks. So the, two, the, the dude, the girl, and then Keisha, who Tokyo does not know. He's never met this Keisha lady in, in his life. He sees these two. He knows the dude. Doesn't know the girlfriend, doesn't know this Keisha lady, but says, uh, you can stay up there. We'll figure something else tomorrow. All right, fine. So they go upstairs. Second night that they were there, Tokyo catches the, the, the dude and the boy and, and um, the dude and his girlfriend doing meth upstairs. So he said, pink, get out. <laughs> this is the ministry house. Doing meth upstairs. <laughs> now, here's this Keisha lady. Who is she one of the sweetest people you've ever met? She, I, I don't know of someone kinder than her. She is so kind and sweet. All she does at the ministry house is praise the Lord. I, I don't know. I, I've, I've yet to come there when I don't hear worship upstairs and her just praising and worshiping God with all her heart. She, she asked for a guitar for Christmas this year. And I was like, oh, Keisha, that's so sweet that you're going to, you know, learn to play the guitar. She has no intention of learning how to play the guitar. All she wants is another way to make music that she can sing to the Lord with. And I hear her up there just plucking string, one string at a time saying, thank you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. This is Keisha. So now Tokyo comes upstairs. You're out. Now here's this Keisha girl, and she's sitting there like, I could go to. Tokyo's like, you can stay tonight, but we're going to figure something else out tomorrow. Now. Okay, I already told you that I feel like I'm in my right mind. I, uh, all right. Next morning, Keisha's in the front of the, uh, of the house, and she's um, in, we have, a, we have a, a recliner there, and she's in the recliner praying to the Lord. Um, Tokyo's in the back of the house. He doesn't, you can't see her from the back of the house. He's in there, I think, making breakfast or whatever he said. I can't remember what he said he was doing, but he's not with her. She's in the front porch on the, on the, on the recliner praying. She says, uh, I said, okay, because you were, like, uh, worried. She said, well, number one, I don't know who this Tokyo dude is. I don't even know if I'm safe. Actually, my family isn't even safe to me, and I, if, who is this dude? I have no idea. I'm scared. She said, so I was up there saying, Lord, where are you? My, my, my family is hurting. They're supposed to be protecting me. They're the ones that stole my kids. I'm, I'm over here all alone. I don't have, I don't have anywhere to go in, in the family that I'm supposed to be able to turn to. I don't know. Where are you, God? Please show me a sign that you're still listening to me. I'm so scared, and I don't know what to do. Send me a sign that you're still listening. Even if you have to send, send an animal, listen, just show me that you're listening. Please do so. She's on the front porch praying that prayer. Tokyo's not there, and she's not a loud person, but she's, like, distraught. You would be, too, if you lost your kids to your family. So uh, Tokyo's out in the back. Okay. 
stay with the lady. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Okay, she's <laughs> she's in the front doing all that. He's in the back. There's a knock at the back of the door to the ministry house. Tokyo goes to answer it. They said, hey, um, Tokyo, there's a, a cat outside sitting in the, on the sidewalk. Tokyo says, we don't have a cat. It's not ours. They're like, well, it's just sitting there. So Tokyo goes out and says, sure enough, between the, the, the house and the garage, there is a sidewalk, and there's just a cat sitting there, just sitting there. <sighs> All right, I'm just going to say it, So, because I've checked this so many times. Oh, my goodness. Tokyo goes out there. Tokyo says to me with a straight face, the cat says to me, where's Keisha? And, and I'm telling you right now, because Tokyo and Keisha asked me, do you know how we met? And I said, oh, a little bit, but you could tell me. So there, Tokyo goes into the house, up through the dining room, through the living room. You know where the porch is. So up to the porch, says, hey, Keisha, someone's out back asking for you. <laughs> and um, Keisha says to him, um, not right now. Tokyo says, all right. So he goes back out. <laughs> says to the cat, uh, she's not coming out, but you could come in. <laughs> cat follows t uh, Tokyo into the room, or into the house, into the uh, dining room, through the, through the living room. And they both said, sat about uh, five feet behind the recliner where she's at. And says... That's all, that's, all, that's all they say sh the cat said. Meow. Um, Keisha turns around. She says, oh, my gosh. Oh, my Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. And Tokyo's like, wow. <laughs> what the? What's going on? It's just a cat. It's just a cat. Okay, okay, so now I'm sitting here listening to this story from them, and in my heart and mind, I'm saying to myself, I don't have time with all the problems that I have to solve this month, I don't have time for my house supervisor and his new wife to lose their mind, <laughs> because uh, they were married within less than a month, married in less than a month. I don't have time for them to lose their mind. What kind of garbage is this? I, of course, I have my uh, seminary-trained face on, and I was, you know, responding like I'm listening, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, and then, okay, <laughs> right, 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 and then you said, oh, and then, and the cat said, <laughs> and you and and I have my pastoral, I'm trying to keep my, you know, you don't want to show too much emotion when you're counseling because you don't want them to think that you think they're crazy or that they're doing something. But in my heart and mind, I was like, this is baloney. <laughs> I don't got, I don't got time for this today, Lord. You know how tired I am. 
So I get home, and it was one of those times. I'm sitting there just like, I don't know. I don't, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to fire this dude. and You know, all these. <laughs> At least get him help before firing him. <laughs> and I just keep him out into the streets because he's cutting up. <laughs> so I said, I'm sitting there like, oh, my goodness. What in the world? And my wife comes in. Hey, how was your day? I was like, it was, it was all right. She's like, what's the matter? Like I said, they know. What's the matter? I said, babe, can I tell you a story? <laughs> she said, okay. Now, uh, my wife grew up, she was more, uh, um, she had more Pentecostal background. Um, so I tell her the story I just told you. My wife says to me, well, I'm th I thought she's had my back. I thought my wife, <laughs> I thought my wife has got, you know, <laughs> my wife says to me, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I said, hold on. I said, time out. Hold on. <laughs> you, I said, the cat is talking to Tokyo. She says, did you not miss the Holy Spirit answering somebody immediately? Did you not miss that someone got set free and they actually had an encounter with God that set them back on the course with loving them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did you miss all of that, Nate? I said, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I missed that. <laughs> and you know what the problem was? Because I started to think I know how God works. I started to think in my heart and mind, God does this and that, and he does this and that. And, we, and, he, and, he, and he helps people learn how to pray in tongues and interpret. And you can lay hands on sick and, they, and uh, all these things. And I had in my mind how God works. And I realized, you have no right to tell God how he's going to do anything. You have no right. You have no right to tell him how he's going to do anything. But what I realized is that as I have been trained and as I have been uh, soaking myself in the word of God, I realized that I started to form an opinion about the ways that God can do things. And I realized that he was trying to destroy that because what was happening is I was resisting what was happening because it didn't happen like I thought it was supposed to. And you know what the Lord said to me later on when I was complaining to him? He said, nay, this is not the first time an animal has talked. I said, I'm going to be real transparent right now. This is what I said. That's just the Bible. Oh, oh. Ooh, Lord, help me. Help me, God. I want to be somebody that can be used because here's the, th the thought that I had in my heart. And I know it's going to sound funny, but it was, it was hurting to me. It was actually a, a source of pain to me because I said, maybe I was so high-minded and proud that God would not have been able to use me in that situation. Tokyo responded by saying, I'll go get her. I would have... <laughs> because in my heart and mind, 
I'm at the ministry house. We're in the middle of Benton Harbor anyway, and it's crazy. And if a cat comes over and says, is Keisha there? I said, pow. <laughs> well, no. I don't know where Keisha's at. And you will never know where Keisha is at. <laughs> Except for the fact that Keisha was just getting done praying. I need some kind of sign that you're even listening to me anymore. It's, if you have to, send an animal. And, and Tokyo just brings this animal in. And, the, and, and, and she's set free instantly. Instantly. And in my pride, God is resisting me because I could, I could not move past that he does things however he feels like. Uh, I, I was reminded uh, just a few minutes ago about this line from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Lucy is being explained. They're trying to tell her about Aslan. And she says, a lion? Is he safe? They said, no, but he is good. Your, your God isn't safe. Your God isn't safe. The reason you think he's safe is because you haven't been pressing in. Press in and find out he is good. But he's not safe. He's a, this kind of stuff. You actually want to know what started to help me get over the hump in this? Because I was stuck. Even after my wife confronted me on my unbelief, I was stuck. And she, uh, I, I'm, I'm praying and asking God. And uh, uh, I, I remember saying, um, Lord, I feel like I'm losing my mind. And the Lord said, oh, good. It's been getting in the way. <laughs> it's been getting in the way. It's been getting in the way. And you know what helped me big time? I started to meditate on the wives of the disciples. Because <laughs> you know, some of them were married, right? <laughs> some of them were married. Can you imagine Peter's wife? And she's making the food and getting it. I was like, oh, Peter will be home soon. I know he said he's coming home today. <laughs> Got the food all getting prepared. And Peter comes in. Hey, babe, what's going on? You know that I've been following Yeshua. You know that I've been hanging out with. Yes, I know that. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Today, we were in a boat. It was, God, the water was super duper rough. We looked out the water and we saw a, 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 seemed like a form coming toward us. And we looked out and we were like, man, I'm not sure. Yeah, there's something out there. And it started getting closer. Now we're saying, that kind of looks like somebody. Now it gets closer. All of a sudden, we see, it's Jesus. You're saying, so you're saying Jesus was walking on the water. You're saying, you're saying there was a dude, you're saying the dude, the teacher, the one who healed my mom, you're saying he's walking on the water? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, babe, I don't want you to get super frightened. But... I, I got out of the boat. I was walking out water too for just a minute. I was walking out water too. I was just, and trying to see her try to comprehend, try to comprehend what God is doing. This, 
Where did, where did we learn about this when we were at the synagogue? We didn't learn about this. Where, when did we learn about that? We didn't learn about that. You're saying, okay, Peter, you're saying, you went fishing, and the first fish that you caught, you opened up his mouth, and there was a gold coin in there for your taxes? That's what you're telling me right now. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> and I, I asked one of my mentors about this, and he said, sometimes the Lord will offend your mind to expose your heart. And what happened to me was in the middle of Benton Harbor, and if, if you think that's crazy, oh my goodness, you should see what happens to me in Detroit. <laughs> Here I am, a person who has been crying out to God for revival, and when these things start to happen, where someone who is far, far from Christ comes to Christ immediately, those kinds of things, and when it started to happen, I was resisting it because it's not happening like I think it should. And I want you to know that your God is willing to do whatever he has to to rescue his kids. And he doesn't care if it offends the minds of people who are already saved. He'll do whatever he has to do to rescue a son or daughter who is being destroyed by the enemy. I want to be in on that kind of work. I just realize maybe I'm not yet really prepared. You know who probably the most prepared people are right now? Kids! They're prepared for anything. You can tell a story to them that they're shocked about. They're like, oh, okay. Huh. Well. <laughs> Is that, if that's how God works, I can accept that. He's God. That's their attitude. That's the attitude that I want to have. That's the attitude that you're going to have to learn. Um, not childishness, childlikeness. You'll learn and desire to be humble and childlike. And that kind of people can receive a great revival. Because I don't know if you know it, but some of the revivals that happened, even in Reformed church history, people were barking like dogs. People were seeing signs of wonders happening all over. I was in Benton Harbor one time trying to help someone get across the street, and I started praying for them. And they turned and looked at me and said, we know what you're doing. We'll be good now. What does it look like for you to confront someone in the middle of a service that is demonically oppressed? What does it look like? I don't know if you've ever cast a demon out of anybody, but it's, it's ugly sometimes. Really ugly. What are you going to do when someone gets saved and delivered in the middle of your service and you can't keep them quiet? Have you ever seen someone who's... We have someone in Benton Harbor whose baby was dying, and we didn't know, they did not know what to do. He's a drug dealer from the neighborhood, came in and said, I don't know what to do. I've, we've been to Ann Arbor to the doctors. We've been here to the doctors. No one knows what to do. And we said, we'll start to pray for him. And, th and three weeks later, when the baby's not only just living again, but able to crawl and walk already, he comes back to the ministry house, and he sa he, I said... Uh, how's the baby? He says, she's walking. And I said, did you tell the Lord thank you? He said, a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand. I haven't stopped telling everybody about what Jesus did for me. And I want you to know that he's still trying to get over selling drugs. But that means that there is a current drug dealer in Benton Harbor who is telling everybody about Jesus. That doesn't compute with me. 
I can't get over that. I'm saying, you need to get a heal delivered. We need to do some discipleship for you. And he's saying, I'll do all that. But in the meantime, while I'm selling drugs, I'm going to tell this dude and this dude and this dude and that dude and that dude. And if it's wrong, you can tell me later. And sometimes I'm in the place where I come and say, it's wrong. You're not supposed to get rid of the old stuff again. He said, I want to. I'm going to. But listen, while I'm getting myself together, I'm telling everybody about Jesus. I want to be part of that kind of stuff. I want to be part of that kind of life. I just realized that I need some growing down. I have to stop saying, God, this is what you can do. Now, well, almost. Here's where I almost am. I'll tell you where I almost am in my desire. I have every right to believe his word and he, that he will and can do everything in his word. I have a right to believe everything that he has always done, and but I have no right to tell him how he's going to do it tomorrow. If he decides to use some stinking cat in Benton Harbor, I'm going to have to get used to saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want, your way are higher than my ways, and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I'm, not, I'm going to learn how to say, let's just take it easy. We're not going to say this is messed up yet. We're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to wait on the Lord and see if it is the Lord. Because I don't want to... Let's see what, so the, one of the, 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 the anxieties for me in this, uh, in this expression is that you will start to use as doctrine animals talking. That's not good doctrine. But if God decides that he needs to use that in that situation, get out of the Lord's way and celebrate as a believer becomes, comes back to the Father. And let's all rejoice and praise God and you can be upset about how it happened at home. It, is so, it messed me up so much, and I can't say that I'm not done being messed up because on a pretty regular basis, I, I have to uh, witness something in Detroit or Benton Harbor or Kalamazoo. I have to witness something and, and, and hold my tongue and go back and come back the next day and see, oh, my goodness, it was the Holy Spirit. And then rejoice and ask God, please help me not to get lost. I don't want to get lost. I don't want to become someone that you actively resist because of my pride. I think I know how God works. No, I know he's good. I know he's good. I know he's faithful to his word. I know he has done some stunning things in the past. But I don't know how he's going to get it done tomorrow or today. So I'm going to leave that to his hands while I just labor to love him with all my heart and love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to do those two things, and hopefully I don't completely lose my mind in the middle of it because it feels very possible. <laughs> or maybe, maybe I'm coming into true reality. Because all of us have said at some point or another, he can do the impossible. He can do anything but when it happens to you be prepared because how it happens may not line up with how you thought God is I don't know of anybody in scripture that had an encounter with God that came away from it and said he's everything I thought he was 
every single person falls down onto the ground and oh my goodness oh I didn't. Uh, and it was like a wheel within a wheel and then there was and there's four living creatures and, and you're like what okay okay Ezekiel you are crazy Except that when you start to sincerely look at the life of Jesus, you'll realize that one of the things his disciples said, he said, listen, listen, your Jesus and my Jesus stood up in the middle of a synagogue in the middle of one of their biggest celebration signs, times and says, unless you eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part in this kingdom. Huh? That's bizarre. And it says after that, after that, many of his disciples no longer followed him. Are you going to leave too? And Peter's like, how? Where would we go? We know you have the words of life, which says to me, we've been thinking about it. <laughs> but we didn't know where we would go. We, <laughs> we're not sure where we would go. A, we, were, we were just talking about where but... Now then, what I want to ask is, are you ready for revival? Now you want to say yes, and I understand that instinct. You want to say yes. But what I want you to take account of is, are you really ready for revival? It's not a judgment. It is a question that says, ah, you have something in your heart where you really do believe that people could get saved from the worst of the worst. You have in your heart so that people can get delivered and healed from the worst of the worst. But what you got to get into your heart is you have no idea how that's going to happen. You have no idea how that's going to happen. Get that out of your mind and start to meditate on Jesus and see how shocking his person was to everyone around him. Who he was was shocking. And just like we talked about those pastors who resisted, guess what? A big portion of Israel resisted Jesus because he didn't come like he thought, they thought he should. Can you imagine resisting Jesus? But it happened. And I do not want to resist and miss out on the move of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to miss out on what I know for a fact he's going to do in Benton Harbor and Detroit and Kalamazoo. You don't want to miss what he's going to do here in Holland. You don't want them. You want to be right in the front watching as someone get is, uh, paralyzed, stands up, and runs out of the service. You want to be right there. You want to be right there in the hospital when that little baby is brought back to life. You want to be right there. You want to be right there when everything is starting to go berserk and the, and the nation is raging and, the, and everything is going wrong except there's this community of believers who are doing signs, wonders, and miracles, casting out demons and proclaiming, the kingdom of God is here. You want to be right there. You don't want to be offended by what happens and miss out on the glory cloud of God coming into the middle of your service. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. Take what you think you know about God and lay it on the altar and say, Lord God, I am in love with your son and I believed on him for salvation, but you have the right to train me in the way that I should go and you have the right to tell me how I'm supposed to believe. 
If it's offensive to my mind, God, I'll get over it. But I don't want less of you because I'm high-minded. I don't want you to resist me because I've become too proud about what you really can do and how you should do it. This is the way we've done it in the past, Lord. But if there's anything about the way we did it in the past that is unpleasing to you, tell us and we'll, lead it, we'll get it out. Because we have to have you. We have to have you. Where else are we going to go? So really, uh, uh, I would like to pray for you in a second. And, but particularly afterward, they said that the prayer teams would be available after the service. Um, if you're feeling stuck in your walk with the Lord, please come up to the prayer team and just ask them to lay hands on you and pray for your preparation. A lot of you didn't, I don't know if you ever thought how wild your God is. He's wild. He's wild. Think about any of the stories that you know in Scripture and realize that right away. And realize that the God that we're asking for in our services and the God that we're asking to come and bring revival is still the same and he's still just as wild. And we have to, we're not going to tell him how to do things. We're going to have to get out of the way and say, it is yours. And that's not an easy thing for people like myself who want to really have come to some kind of conclusion about what we can expect. I can expect goodness. Do you know what you're coming down for after the service to the prayer team if you're stuck? Or come down, and it doesn't have to be a long prayer, prayer team. Ask for a word from the Lord and just tell him, hey, be free of anxiety. Or, hey, be free of judgment. Or, hey, whatever it is, come down. And if you have been praying for revival, I'd very seriously consider coming down as well. Because we want to pray that you'll be prepared to be a steward of revival. There's got to be somebody there who can say, I don't know, that, that, that doesn't seem like the Lord. Or there's got to be people there that will say, that's the Lord and we're going to let that go. There's got to be people who are grounded in the faith who can steward revival when it happens. And um, I'm willing to stay after service as long as necessary to help with the prayer team pray because this is important to me because I have been praying for revival for years. And I know the pain of seeing stuff happen that you just don't know if it's the Lord or not. And it's painful because it is messing with your mind and your heart. And it's like a shock. It's like a jarring. But it's good, though. But it's good. <laughs> just uh, maybe put your hands up like this to receive this prayer. Hey, Lord, now you see your people out there and you know how much you love them. And you know how much you want them to bear more fruit. You want them to bear more fruit. You prune those that you love. You want them to grow and to be ready for you. So what I'm asking God is right now, prepare these people for revival. Prepare their hearts to receive you as king. 
I come against any ungodly thoughts that are coming into their heart and mind. Anything that's not like you, prune it out, we say. And we ask, Father, for a childlike spirit to pervade this house. Great faith in our God with an ability to not put him in a box. A deep uh, love for God's word and a deep, unwavering expectation of his greatness and his faithfulness to his covenant. And then a willingness to get out of his way so he can do the work only he can do. We are that kind of people, and we know that you can do that work in us. Now we ask that you would, for the glory of your son, so that more people can't stop telling them what Jesus has done for them. They have whole neighborhoods who are set ablaze because someone is telling them that Jesus did this for their family member or their friend. For your glory, God, for your glory. We love you and we ask, please keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.